What time is it? Hello and welcome to the Bible Dig Godcast, a fun-filled exploration of archaeology and the Bible. And now, here are your hosts, author J.S. Earls and attorney Peter A. Papoutsis. Hello, everybody. This week, we are going to be talking about the flood and Noah's Ark. There is so much to cover, and we want to be as fair as we can and put out a lot of the different theories. So we're going to, I think, uh, probably have about three different ones. We may touch on other uh, stuff too, but um, yeah, there's a lot of information that uh, we think you guys will really find uh, very fascinating. We are going to focus mostly on the two most popular flood theories that are uh, based on actual science and actual findings. I would, you know what, it, it, there, there are only two main theories, but there, in actuality, I think you could actually say there's three, but the third one is kind of not like that big of a deal, but we'll, we'll get into it. It's not that big of a deal, but there is scientific support for that third one as well. Well, I wanted to start with, uh, and I, th- I think this is um, very interesting because it actually comes from non-religious sources, really. This one pertains to the Black Sea, and I'm going to be reading some stuff from ABC News and the Smithsonian. Um, yes. And uh, so this stuff is really cool. I mean, this is, you know, however you want to take it, it's still the fact that, that they're looking at this as legitimate possible explanations for the flood um, and that they're actually taking the, the possibility of the flood seriously from these respected, generally, <laughs> sources, this really holds a lot of weight and uh, is, oh. is very cool. And, um, and I will mention that uh, because this, I don't even know if this is really going to totally get into it, but um, generally speaking, this, the, the Black Sea Theory basically presents what most people consider a localized flood idea that would be like uh they say some people say that this was you know that it wasn't the whole world but it was like noah's world or whatever um but there are some people that actually think that not a lot but there are some scientists actually think that this was part of a larger flood and could have been a worldwide flood and that what happened in the black sea was also related to a lot of other events, other places, all at the same time. So that even this theory, although most people you know, look at it as more of a very large but localized flood, is also um, could also be connected to a, a worldwide flood as we know it, and as most people believe the uh, biblical flood was. So um, I'm going to read some of this. Uh, this is from the Smithsonian's from April 1st of 2000. This is called Evidence for a Flood. Sediment layers suggest that 7,500 years ago, Mediterranean water roared into the Black Sea. Uh, scholars usually attribute things like the worldwide occurrence of flood stories to common human experiences and our love of repeating good stories. But recently, scientists have started to uncover evidence that Noah's flood they have basis in some rather astonishing events that took place around the Black Sea some 7,500 years ago. The scientific version of Noah's flood actually starts long before that, back during the last great glaciation some 20,000 years ago. This was a time when the Earth looked very different from what we are used to today. Thick ice sheets extended down from the North Pole as far as Chicago, whoever lives there, and... <laughs> <laughs> and and New York City 
all that water had to come from somewhere. So ocean levels were about 400 feet lower than they are today. Uh, the east coast of the United States was 75 to 150 miles farther out than it is today. Places like Manhattan and Baltimore would have been inland cities, which is uh, pretty wild. Of course, mm-hmm. yep. of course, those cities weren't around at that time. Uh, but right, um, so we're all good. Yeah. Uh, during this period, meltwater from the European glaciers flowed down to the Black Sea basin, then out through a river channel into the Mediterranean. Because the Mediterranean is connected to the World Ocean at Gibraltar, it was also 400 feet lower than it is today. So this flow of fresh water through the Black Sea was downhill. Yep. Uh, two geologists at Columbia University's Lamont Dougherty, Dougherty Earth Observatory have offered a new theory of what happened next. And uh, if you're going to do your own research, this is from uh, William Ryan and Walter Pittman. Uh, and, yeah, and these are the guys that are at the forefront of the Black Sea flood hypothesis. And, and what you're going to read now, these guys are, are, are legitimate, they're, they're mainstream, and they're, they're pretty solid in their research. Uh, absolutely. That's, yeah. Um, it's so much so, well, you'll find out in the, in the second part of what I'm going to read. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people who actually, they may not necessarily agree with everything, but they definitely agree with their scientific findings. Uh, maybe not their, necessarily their interpretations, but, yeah, these guys are really... Uh, well respected and um, this is what they said and this is what they found uh, that the level of the Black Sea began to drop and most of the area around its northern boundary became dry land. At this point the level of the Black Sea was several hundred feet below that of the Mediterranean and the two were separated by the barrier of the Bosporus then dry land. This situation with the world ocean rising while the Black Sea was falling could not last forever. Eventually, like a bathtub overflowing, the Mediterranean had to pour through into the Black Sea Basin. The idea that ocean basins can flood catastrophically during periods of rising sea levels is nothing new in geology. Five million years ago, long before there were any humans around, just such an event occurred. Okay, that's according to them. Um, (laughs) The level of the Atlantic Ocean had dropped or some tectonic event had occurred with the result that water could no longer get through and the Mediterranean gradually shrank down with desert, spotted with a few salty bits of ocean. Subsequently, when either the Atlantic rose again or another geological change took place, ocean water began pouring back into the former sea. The basin filled and the present-day Mediterranean was created. We know such things because the sediments reveal history. Ryan and Pittman began taking cores samples of the present-day Black Sea. The cores seemed to be telling a strange story indeed, particularly in the northern areas. At the bottom of the cores, dozens of feet below the present seafloor, they found layered mud typical of river deltas. Carbon dating of shells in this mud indicates that it was laid down between 18,000 and 8,600 years ago. Directly above the layers of the mud of what Pittman calls shell hash, an inch-thick layer of broken shells overlain by several feet of fine sediment of the type being brought into the Black Sea by rivers today. The shells in the hash are typically what was in the Black Sea when it was a body of fresh water. 
The fine sediments contain evidence of saltwater species previously unknown in the Black Sea. When the Mediterranean began to flow northward, it popped the plug and pushed those sediments into a tongue of loose sediment on the bottom of what would become the present-day Black Sea. This tongue can still be seen in cores taken from the ocean bottom in that area. As the flow of water increased, it began to cut into the bedrock itself. Incoming water eventually dug a channel more than 300 feet deep as it poured into the Black Sea Basin, changing it from freshwater lake to a saltwater ocean. Correct. It was this event that Pittman and Ryan believe could be the flood that was recorded in the book of Genesis. Now. Right. Do you have any comments on that? Well, you know, if you actually Google the pictures of the Black Sea Basin or the Black Sea, uh, you can get a really good observation of what they're talking about. Because the Black Sea, I mean, it's just a big bowl. I mean, it really is a big bowl. It's a big basin. Everything goes into it. So it's not like the you're not level with the Black Sea. The Black Sea is beneath you. You can be on a cliff looking down into the Black Sea. So what Ryan and Pittman are saying is absolutely true, that if that earth dam at the Bosporus broke, it would be, you know, tons upon tons of, of water coming into that basin. And, and, you know, it's a perfect village. If you were to drain the, the Black Sea, it's a perfect village. I mean, I'm sorry, a perfect valley with people right. living there and having farms there and having uh, villages there, which, by the way, they found. They actually have found evidence of like, you know, pots and 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 other things that would be associated with villages. And, you know, they're at the bottom of the Black Sea. So there is signs of settlements along the what would have been the coast of the early Black Sea, not the Black Sea that we have now, you know, following the flood. So everything that Ryan and Pittman, from a geological point of view, from a geographical point of view, just makes sense and um you know and then and then when you're going to talk about the other theory which is the ice age flood theory which kind of connects to the black sea theory that they're probably one and the same right well well, that gives it a global perspective you know because the black sea that's what's called a mega regional flood and you know here in illinois uh we've had a lot of floods along the mississippi uh and and even just read like even little local floods like that are devastating to oh, yeah. the surrounding, uh, you know, people. So if you were, so now take that up like a hundred notches to a mega regional flood like the Black Sea. I mean, is it that hard to believe that 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 would cause some kind of psychological shock and awe to people that they would remember it for generations to come? Yeah, and and uh, it wasn't that long ago too that we had a tsunami and everything in Japan that uh, that affected eleven different nations. I yes. mean, that's. That's yes. that's massive. Now, one of the really cool things about um, about their findings, all the stuff that that they did, um, mainly with the dirt and the and, and the shells and everything, but uh, this all got the attention. And this was um, this is carried. Uh, I don't even remember what year this was, um, but this got the a lot of attention of a lot of other uh, serious scientists and explorers. And one of the people that it got the attention of was Robert Ballard. Ballard, yes, yes. Um, who uh, was the guy that discovered the Titanic shipwreck and everything. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I forgot about him. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And this is so – so he went to uh, 
to check some of this stuff out too because he was um, very sold on this stuff and he's still sold on it now. And um, but I will read real quick. Uh, it's pretty short. Um, just some clips from the ABC News report, which was uh, a few years after that. Uh, the headline for that from the ABC News was "Evidence Noah's Biblical Flood Happened," says Robert Ballard. The story of Noah's Ark and the Great Flood is one of the most famous from the Bible, and now an acclaimed underwater archaeologist thinks he has found proof the biblical flood was actually based on real events. In an event with, oh boy, I'm going to murder her last name. I think I think the name is, I know who you're talking about, Christiane Amanpour. Christiane Amanpour for yeah. ABC News. Robert Ballard, one of the world's best-known underwater archaeologists, talked about his findings. Ballard's track record for finding the impossible is well-known. In 1985, Using a robotic submersible, Ballard and his crew hunted down the world's most famous shipwreck, the Titanic. Now Ballard is using even more advanced robotic technology to travel further back in time. He is on a marine archaeological mission might support the story of Noah. He said, some 12,000 years ago, much of the world was covered in ice. Where I live in Connecticut was ice a mile above my house, all the way back to the North Pole about 15 million kilometers. That's a big ice cube, he said, but then it started to melt. We're talking about the floods of our living history. The water from the melting glaciers began to rush toward the world's oceans, Ballard said, causing floods all around the world. The question is, was there a mother of all floods? Fascinated by the idea, Ballard and his team decided to investigate. We went in there to look for the flood. He said, not just slow-moving, advancing rise of sea level, but a really big flood that then stayed. The land that went under stayed under. 400 feet below the surface, they unearthed an ancient shoreline, proof to Ballard that a catastrophic event did happen in the Black Sea. By carbon dating the shells found along the shoreline, Ballard said he believes that they have established a timeline for that catastrophic event, which he estimates happened around 5000 BC. Some experts believe this was around the time when Noah's flood could have occurred. Correct. And, you know, and and see, the the thing with with Ryan and Pittman and Ballard and uh, some other researchers that we're going to get into, like oceanographer Simon uh, Boxel and um, and uh, his uh, partner, uh, uh, you know, Christos Smolinov uh, from Russia, fellow PhD, fellow oceanographer, they're all finding evidence of a worldwide flood. I mean, yeah, we have very good evidence of this mega regional flood, the Black Sea flood, and 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 Ryan and Pittman are absolutely correct about that. Even when it was challenged, Ryan right. and Pittman like threw it right back into the people's faces. I think it was just recently challenged, like back in. 2010, 2011. Yeah. Um, and, and they're like, you know, because the challenges were all computer models. And Ryan and Pittman were like, I really don't care about your computer models because I was actually out there. Right. Mike and I were actually out there. We, we actually looked at this stuff, physically held this stuff, used actual, you know, physical data at the site. Okay. We don't have a computer model. And then, you know, the, 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 this whole thing just comes back down to the theory that's finally being accepted in geology, which is catastrophism. Was our world in some way, shape or form molded into what we know today because of some great catastrophe or catastrophes? And the answer before, and I'll, I'll give a shout out now to the book, the, you know, what was it called? The Great Flood by the, by the creationists that came out back in, I think, the 60s or the 70s. Right. Um, they were the ones that started the whole uh, uh, conversation about, hey, you know, we got to really take this concept of catastrophe or catastrophes seriously. 
and we got to look for it. Because, you know, why are we finding these ancient shorelines underneath the water? Why are we finding fossils of fish and other sea life on right. the top of Why? Why? What's going on? You know, yes, you could have your bias against the Bible and and for, I don't know, some type of, you know, evolution that just, you know, everything just stayed constant and all that. But these are mainline scientists, mainstream scientists that are finding this evidence. And because it is recorded in the Bible, people have a visceral, the scientists have a visceral reaction against it. And it just surprises me. Like, why? Why would you have a visceral reaction against it if you have data for it? And the data has been coming out fast and furious since 19, I'm sorry, since what? The Great Flood book came out in the 1970s. And especially since 1997, when Ryan and Pittman came out with their research about the mega regional flood in the Black Sea. When Boxall and uh, Smolenev came out with their research and Ballard came out with his research for what's called the, the Ice Age flood that ties into the Black Sea flood. So if the oh, evidence yeah. is there, why are we not pursuing it? And guess what? Finally, finally, as of 2018 today, uh, inroads have been made into the fields of geology uh, where they're starting to somewhat accept the, the theory of catastrophism, as they call it. And they're begrudgingly accepting the notion of a worldwide flood that occurred at the at the end of the last ice age because the research is just there. The the, the data is just there. And it's because of Ryan and Pittman and Ballard and Smolinov and Boxall and all these other guys and some other guys we'll talk about later that's finally giving archaeological, geological, and scientific evidence for something that the Bible was telling us that had already happened. The why is a religious right. answer, but did it actually happen? Yeah. I think that I think that the scientific data at this point is is too overwhelming to say that some type of flood, whether it's a mega regional flood or a worldwide flood, which is what I personally believe, and we'll get into that later, uh, did happen. A factual flood did happen that this story of Noah and the Ark is based on. And you know, I I would just add too. I think especially the the more and more that people uh, with archaeology and scientists that really study cultures, and I, I think it's getting harder and harder for them to. Well, let me say it this way: they're 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 giving more respect to ancient people and ancient cultures now because yeah. we, we keep finding older and older things that are more and more advanced, um, and that uh, you know that they're. That they're more intelligent and, you know, and some of them were, you know, incredibly intelligent. And, incredibly and, intelligent. And, and to sit there and say, I mean, these aren't idiots that are just sharing these stories. And, and you have all of the major, you know, cultures from all over the world that have these flood stories, you know, from, from China to the Native mm-hmm. Americans to, I mean, yeah. it, you know, and, and these, you know, people that in these cultures that never met these different civilizations that that we know have never met yet they all have these massive flood stories and and the only thing that can really you know again it's you know you can have a knee jerk reaction because you don't like it you know connecting to the bible but it's like man you're so you're going to dismiss every single one of these other cultures and all of that you know evidence in all of those stories that all of them have shared I mean, it's, I mean, it's really kind of, it's, it's sort of disrespectful and it's not, uh, it's not really taking the, you know, cause that their stories and everything, I mean, those are evidence too. 
you know, mm-hmm. especially yeah. when you look at it from that, you know, we covered this er- earlier on that, you know, we can't just k- discount these things from these uh, older cultures and, and everything. I mean, this is, you know, this is evidence too. And to sit there and say there wasn't a flood is just, you know, it, it just goes in the face of all of the evidence. It does. It does. To tie in on one thing, because we're probably going to get it, not now, but we're probably going to get into another podcast. But um, one of the things that was always against, not necessarily the flood story, although it was in an indirect way, but it was also, but it was directly against the ark, you know, Noah's ark. Did Noah have the intelligence back then, the know-how, the technicality to even put an ark together? You know, because the Bible, you know, gives the dimensions and everything. And everybody was like, well, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty, you know, uh, technical. You know, I don't think people back then had that high level of sophistication. And so there was this argument that was made that Noah just, you know, this is anachronism, meaning that you're reading back into the story facts or you're putting facts into the story back during that time when people wouldn't have that level of sophistication. Okay. Well, lo and behold, uh, there was an archaeological site that was found in the southern portion of eastern Turkey, southeastern Turkey, in a place called, called and I've, I think I've told you this before, called Gobekli Tepe. And the, this archaeological site, Gobekli Tepe, was, was unearthed, I think, back in like the 70s or something. But nobody really knew what it was until finally the Germans, there was a German archaeological team that went out there. And I think it was around 2014, 2015, that they finally fully excavated just one part of a 17 or 18 part uh, uh, Neolithic site. And just this one part that they unearthed was so sophisticated in its depiction of animals, the way they carved the animals into the, I don't know what you call them, stalactites, stalagmites, the ones that come up from the ground up. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, The way that they were configured, the way that they were chiseled, the way that they were, they were, uh, formed showed a level of engineering and technicality that nobody thought existed back then. Nobody thought existed back then. I mean, you had to have a very high level of sophisticated technological knowledge to get, you know, to make Gobekli Tepe. There was just no way otherwise. You, I mean, you can see it. You can Google it and you can look at the site and you'll be like, just from eyeballing it, you'll be like, wow, you got to really know what you're doing to put all these you know, to carve all of these animals and figures and to put all these stones a certain way. Okay, and so that's amazing. But here's the, but here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. It's, it's, that site is 7,000 years older than Stonehenge. Wow. That site is 7,000 years older than Stonehenge. And guess what? That doesn't mean that the people who made that site 7,000 years ago just one day woke up and had that technological knowledge. That meant that somebody had to teach somebody that taught somebody else that taught somebody else that developed that technology over a long period of time. So that actually then means it's even older than 7,000 years, the technology. And when you start doing the math and you start doing the numbers, you know, now it starts to add up with what Ryan and Pittman and Ballard and Smolinov and Boxel start talking about a possible worldwide flood. And that and that Noah could have very easily had the technological know-how and expertise to put the ark together. But like I said, we'll probably talk about that in another part podcast. Well, you didn't you didn't bring up the plumbing in Greece. Yeah, the plumbing in Greece, you know, the joke was always that the ancient Greeks had better plumbing than the modern Greeks. 
<laughs> because they did. If you go to the if you go to Crete and you go to the Palace of Knossos, one of the things that you'll find out is that in the palace they had actual toilets, functioning wow. toilets with real plumbing. If you go to the island of uh, of Santorini, well, it's called Santorini. It's called Thera in Greek, but right. uh, which they say is the 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 site of Atlantis. Be, yeah. You know, whatever, whatever. I don't know about that one. Yeah. Uh, but if you go to Akrotiri, which is the this 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 settlement at the very edge of the island that everybody abandoned because the caldera, which is the middle of the island, the volcano that's in the middle of the island, exploded, you know, thousands upon thousands of years ago and covered the whole thing in ash. Well, guess what? When you cover something in ash, you preserve it. Right. And so when they started to dig through Akrotiri, they found two-story houses, three-story houses, roads, storefronts, toilets, plumbing. You know, so don't think that our ancestors, to go back to what you said, that our ancestors, our human ancestors, didn't know anything about sanitation and building and taking care of themselves and city planning or village planning. Or They did. They knew a lot. And so for people to say that the ancients didn't know what they were doing or didn't have the technological know-how or somehow were just passing on myths and fables and legends of this story and that, no, no, the ancient people were much more sophisticated than what we give them credit for. And this this completely, in my view, validates much of what we read um, in, the, in the Genesis account with the flood and definitely with the creation of the ark by Noah and his sons and possibly others too, because if you read the story carefully, especially what they say in the New Testament, it wasn't just Noah and his kids that were putting this ark together. So just saying yeah. that, that it's not, uh, it's not a, you know, like we're the smart ones, they were the dumb ones. No, it's not as clear cut uh, like that at all. Not at all. And and that also, you know, really they keep finding about our uh, ancient ancestors being intelligent and everything really backs up what we touched on a couple episodes ago, dealing with Cain and Abel and building cities and doing the uh, irrigation and taking care of the land and all, and all that stuff. I mean, just, you know, all these things just back up even more. The Bible stories, you know, are true. You know, you can take it however you want it, but the evidence is there and it keeps coming out that our ancestors were very, very intelligent, which really in some ways, um, to me, makes me think of, you know, God's creation and uh, God making man in his image, and yes. and, and God isn't stupid. Yes. Um, so, oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know. If we're made in the image and likeness of God. What would, well, why would people think that somehow we were not going to be able to figure this stuff out, to figure out how to exist in our environment? Right. It doesn't make any sense to me when people say that, you know, when people scratch their heads and say, oh, it must have been aliens that created the, the pyramids. Yeah. No, no, no. But why do you have to do that? I mean, come on. As much as I love my ancient Greek ancestors and, you know, the whole thing that we created mathematics, the truth is we didn't. It was the Egyptians. It was the ancient Egyptians that created a lot of the basis of the mathematics that later the Greeks and the Romans and the rest of the Europeans got. Uh, and they knew about fulcrums and, and, and pulleys and distribution of weight and everything so for for you to say that oh we don't know how they did it no they, they knew how to do it they had the mathematics yeah they, they knew about this stuff they passed it on um you know and yeah I'm, i guess it's great you know to to shroud this stuff in mystery if you want to you know sell some books and everything about you know esotericism and you know egyptian mystery religions but you know what the reality is it's not that mystical it's not that esoteric it's not that it's not it's very it's very boring it's math and the egyptians had it the greeks had it the the ancient people even before the greeks and the egyptians had it 
as we know now with Gobekli Tepe. So to start going off on like some of the weird stuff that's out there, you know, about aliens and all this other stuff, uh, really diminishes the worth of of our of our ancestors, of our people, you know, of ancient human beings that could actually figure this stuff out. And for you and me, not only just figure it out, but we're inspired by God uh, to do certain things for the betterment of humanity, for the salvation of humanity. So you don't have to go there. You can keep it within, you know, humanity and human knowledge because our ancestors really did know a lot more than I'll say this. I think our ancestors knew a lot more than what we do now. Especially if you if you tie it into just that aspect of that uh, they were, you know, coming from more of a place of perfection, more yes. of a place of of holiness and everything that of of being in God's presence. I don't know. I guess. I, I no, I think say- you're right. No, no, I think you're absolutely right. When you you hit the nail right on the head when you said they're coming from a from a better or closer period of perfection, meaning uh, that you know prior to the fall, you know. Closer, the closer you were to that period of time, to the fall, to where we are now, we're obviously a lot more imperfect and fallen than, say, Noah. And 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 guess what? That's that's exactly what the Bible says. It's not like we're saying something, you know, that's not true. The Bible says it itself. Oh yeah. If you go to if you go to Genesis chapter six, verse nine, it says Noah was a just man, being perfect in his generation. And that Noah walked with God. Now, that's what the Hebrew says. The, the Greek says Noah was well-pleasing to God. Right. Uh, which, which is a big tip-off, by the way, because guess who else, was, guess who else walked with God and was well-pleasing to God? No, uh, Enoch, the right. guy who was you know, taken up into heaven. What, what, what does this tell us? This tells us exactly what you just said, which is Noah, like Enoch, had a communion and connection with God, which, which, which was much more perfect than what we have today. If we are not Christian, because once we accept Christ, our communion with God is a hundred times, a thousand times better than what Enoch and Noah had. Um, yep. But barring that, and back then they didn't have Christ, at least not the incarnate, not the incarnate word that we have now. Right. Uh, the closer they were to the time of the fall, the more perfect they were, the more in communion with God they were. And because of that, it says it. Noah was perfect. Uh, I'm sorry that Noah was a just man, being perfect in his generation. Which, again, if you if you if you think about it, what does that mean? That means his generation was not perfect, right? But that he was perfect in his generation, which then feeds directly into the why. Why did the flood happen? Why did there need to be an ark? You know, and and so on and so forth. But to get back to what we were talking about, there is an archaeological geological and scientific basis for the flood whether it's the black sea mega regional flood whether it's the worldwide uh ice age flood or the third one that i alluded to at the beginning whether it's like just massive regional floods along the tigris and the euphrates there is a basis there is a factual basis for this story the why will come from faith but the did this really happen? Question. I think at this point, given the data, the answer has to be yes. It did happen. Uh, yeah, and I just wanted to, and, and with that said, so especially since we're presenting uh, a couple different views here, I, I think it's important, especially if you're Christian or Catholic or whatever, and you're listening to this. Um, it's really unhealthy 
to put down other believers who might believe something differently. We get so caught up in our ideas and in our nice little boxes uh, that that we put God in. And as we said before, it doesn't, you know, just because somebody, you know, may believe in a flat earth and somebody else doesn't, doesn't mean that God doesn't exist or that Jesus didn't die on the cross. I mean, that's, you know, these are the fundamental things. Don't get so hung up on these, you know, these different aspects of whether, you know, what kind of a flood it was, when it happened, you know, what years, you know, were dinosaurs on the ark, were they not on the ark? I mean, that's that doesn't make a Christian or make somebody not a Christian if they don't agree with you or don't agree with uh, certain people's beliefs or views. Um, that's, you know, it's we need to make sure that we keep our eyes on on God and on Christ that that we're that we're worshiping the right things and that we're not worshiping these other you know ideas and not you know people just get so hung up on these things i don't ascribe to the flat earth theory but right. but i have friends who are christians who do and and uh out of respect i have looked at a lot of the information and i can see where some of the things where they get their beliefs and why they think what they do. And they do bring up some valid questions I just want to put that out there that which one, you know, whichever one of these beliefs or whatever, even if you want to take, you know, your translation uh, of, of the Bible as literal and true, even though it wasn't written in English, it was written in Hebrew and written in Greek and everything. You know, it, it, Love covers a multitude of sins, and and you, you it, know what it is. You know what it is. The very the very basis we're doing this podcast to show that there's archaeological scientific evidence for these things is because there's this massive tendency in our culture, and when I say our culture, I want to say primarily I think Western culture. I don't know about no Eastern I, or, or Hispanic culture. Or I think it's like the, the Greeks mostly. Yeah, it's the Greeks. Yeah, it's those, you know, <laughs> you can't really trust those guys. But anyway, uh, anyway, uh, I, I am Greek. So don't please don't send us any emails or put anything on Facebook. It was just a joke. Yes. And uh, God does love vegetarians. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, but you know, what happens in our culture is that, oh, well, this is, if, if no flood happened, and there was no Noah, and there was no Ark, then the entire story falls apart. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not, that's not true. That is not true at all. Even though there's, you know, you've heard us and you'll continue to hear us talk about all of the scientific data, the archaeological data, uh, the evidence uh, for uh, a mega regional flood or a worldwide flood, etc. We're doing it for those people that are the dismissive types, that if one part of the story is wrong, then the whole story has to be wrong. And you know what? That's never been true. That's the, when, when ancient people, when the Christians were first talking to the pagans, the pagans weren't there saying, well, wait a minute, you know, was there really a flood? Was there really an ark? Was there really... You know, or the Christians talking to the uh, to the pagans. You know, listen, I, I know you guys believe in Zeus or Jupiter and all that, and you know that they're all false gods and yeah, 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 which they are. You know, the Christians didn't shy away from that, right. but they all Christians and pagans didn't get hung up on the particulars. Every one of them, Christian and pagan, at the beginning of the Christian era, when when the preaching of the gospel happened, were all about well, what's the message of this story? 
well, what's the message of the gospel? Well, what's the message that's in, you know, these first five books of the Bible that have now been translated into Greek for us, you know, that we can now read, meaning the Gentile word, world. They never got into, well, wait a minute, if there was no flood, then the whole story is wrong. Oh, if there was no Noah, the whole story has to be thrown out. Ancient man didn't think like that. Modern man, I think because of atheism and uh, secularism and skepticism in general, whereas ancient man was not like that. Ancient man was like, what is this story trying to tell me? What is the message of this story? And so ancient man, pagan man, when they engaged with Jews and Christians, never were like this skeptical. I mean, I, I guess you could say some were, but the vast majority of them were like, I want to know the validity of your message. And it was always the validity of the message, not the particulars of the story, that mattered to people, that moved people's hearts and souls to come to a, to a saving knowledge of God, uh, to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not going to say that certain things didn't happen because they did happen. That's why we're doing this podcast. But if you are of the perspective that if some parts of this story are not exactly like you think that they should be, or somehow somebody told you they should be, well, immediately we got to throw the whole thing out. You're wrong. I'm sorry, but you're, you're absolutely 100% wrong. I love you. I will always talk to you, but your thinking is, is wrong and you, and, and you got to get past that. So for those people that think that way, yeah, that's why we're doing this podcast to say to you, wait a minute, there is a factual basis, an archaeological basis, a scientific basis, a geological basis to these stories. Now, if you can get over that hurdle, now we can talk to you about the message. And the message is Jesus Christ. Definitely. And, and some people may say, well, what does this have to do with archaeology? I mean, this has everything to do with it because you're, because as Peter was uh, presenting to you, he's showing the way that they thought back then, the way that they received things, the way that they communicated. And, and, and we need to have that mindset as we study these things and as we look at these things, uh, look at it in the light of, of the, that time and those people. And then it, it'll really in, enlighten your view of, of this time. But you, you can't just uh, view it from our perspective, the way that, the way that we look at things. I think this will be a good time to, to break and we will continue in the next episode of The Bible Dig, our discussion on the flood and Noah. My recommendation for this week, and, and I really do like this site a lot, it's called aish.com, A-I-S-H.com. Uh, it's a three-time winner of USA Today's Hot Side Award. It's been heralded for its technical sophistication and sleek graphic design. Um, one of the uh, cool things that it has is it has a 24-hour live webcam from the Western Wall which has logged 20 million visits and been featured on CNN, MSNBC, and the New York Times. Uh, they do have an Ask the Rabbi service uh, where you can send in questions and you can ask from a Jewish perspective of, of different questions you might have. Um, it's not just about the information, but inspiration. Um, it is the lifeline for hundreds of thousands of people across the globe seeking Jewish answers to life's most perplexing issues. So that said, is there any last words you have, Pete? What I will do is I will set up our next podcast. I'm just going to read 
from actual from 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 uh, Genesis chapter six to set up what we're going to be doing next time, which is to talk about Noah and the Ark. It's here, this is from actually my translation, the Holy Orthodox Bible (HOB), starting Genesis chapter six, verse nine, and we kind of talked about it already. Uh, and it says, "And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, being perfect in his generation. Noah was well pleasing to God. And Noah begot three sons: Shem, Ham, and Japheth." Japheth, by the way, is where the Greeks came from. But the earth was corrupted before God, and the earth was filled with iniquity. So I'm going to leave it at that. That was Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And we will be talking about Noah and the ark and some pretty fascinating things between the Hebrew Bible, the Greek Bible, and the Dead Sea Scrolls that may give us an insight as to the construction and proportion of Noah's ark. Take care, guys. For more info on the Bible Dig Godcast, please visit the Bible Dig Facebook page, where you'll discover a treasure trove of photos, the latest archaeology finds, and our monthly Bible study. And remember, when in doubt, just get diggy with it. Uh, you know that 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 uh, uh, the the the. Hell, I can't talk today. English. <laughs> the, you know the the uh, the 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 or or um, and uh, and uh, how to how to how to you know cool stuff.